0: Well, what's going on guys? It's good to see you this morning. Super excited to be with you. We're going to be looking at Exodus 35 and 36, the key verse Lacey just read for us. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you for your prayer, worship team. Thank you, guys. leading us. Um, Here's what I want to do. If you're a guy, I'm going to give you a different passage that I want you to turn to than the one that Lacey read and where we'll spend most of our time. Ladies, I'm going to do the same with you. So if you've got your Bibles, great. I tried to tuck some under the seats. If you didn't, if you want to use your phone, that's completely fine. But if you're a guy, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you the verse in a minute. If you are a lady, I'd like you to turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Now, this morning, we're going to look at how rest works. And I don't mean how is it that rest works on us, though that is a piece of it, but how does resting in Christ produce the works of righteousness and accomplish the mission of the gospel? So guys, I want you all to turn to Hebrews 11. Ladies, I want you to go to Proverbs 31. Now, one thing that all people can agree on, it doesn't matter, Christian, non-Christian, old, young, pick your demographic, everybody can agree on this. This book that I am holding, The Bible has very, very high standards. Now, we can read it in Exodus, and we can read, thou shalt not murder, and all of his head nod, and we're like, that is a very good standard. But then as we work down through God's word, even just in the Ten Commandments, and we hit, thou shalt not covet, the Bible goes from saying, don't commit murder to "Don't, don't desire things that are not yours. the, The Bible moves from our hands directly to our heart when Jesus says, if you have committed lust, you've committed adultery, the Bible's expectations are exceedingly high. And everybody would agree, anybody who reads the book would agree with that. Now, here's the reason. Why are the expectations of the Bible crazy high? Because the Bible wants you to realize you can't do them. I think that's what most people don't understand about the Bible. The Bible has incredibly high expectations to put on display that we can't do it, that our hearts are not able to, and that's where Jesus comes into the picture. So now I'm going to reread that verse that Lacey just read, and I want you to watch for the hearts of the people, all right? Keep your fingers where you are if you're guys, Hebrews 11, ladies, Proverbs 31. This is Exodus 35 in the heart of our scripture this morning. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. I think that every one of us, I think that most of us in this room are Christians. I hope that most of us that are tuning in are Christians, but I also hope that not everyone is. I, I hope that there are people who today have come and they realize this has crazy high standards. I'm not able to do them. Is there something that God can do for me through Christ for this thing that I can't do that seems incredibly impossible? So here is our one goal this morning. When you walk out that door or you walk out that door or you tune out, whatever it is, here is my heart for you this morning. How can you have a willing heart that actually accomplishes God's desires? How can you have a willing heart, not a begrudging heart, not a, man, this is out of obligation, but this is out of an overpouring. How can you have a willing heart that actually accomplishes God's desires? I think most of us would want that. Is that a fair statement for me to make? Most of us desire that. Yes? Y'all got to give me more than that. Y'all look so sleepy. They, guys, if you're at home, everybody's like, worshipment, hands are up, and there's a prayer banner going in the back. But if you're not, come on, let's wake it up a little bit. Do we not want to be people who are filled with God's spirit and can do what he calls us to do? Right? Amen. Yeah, there we go. All right, good. Everybody's here now. All right, men, I'm going to save you for last. Ladies, Proverbs 31. Drop all the way down to verse 10. Husbands, you are not allowed to elbow your wives right now. This is the premier verse, ladies of what the godly woman looks like in Proverbs 31, verse 10. This is what we read. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm. She seeks wool and flax. I'm jumping a little bit. Just stick with me a little bit. Verse 14, uh, excuse me, verse 15. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household, Um, Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She does all of these things. Her children rise and call her blessed in verse 28. Okay, so what do we have here? What we have is a checklist for ladies that's what we have like these are the things that we want to be we want to wake up early we want to work hard we want to accomplish our to-do list we want to set an example for our kid and love on our husbands these are the ladies we want to be if we're married these are the ladies we want to be if we get married that's what the bible says here's the deal every one of us loves marking something off a to-do list how many of y'all are to-do list people oh my gosh we have so many type A's up in this mix, don't we? The sermon is for all of you, okay? You know that feeling that you get? when, uh, how, Out of curiosity, how many of you are paper list people? Who are my paper list? How many of y'all are digital list people? Okay, all right, good. Here's what I love about my digital to-do list on my phone. Whenever I, I press, like, accomplished task, I get this wonderful little do-do, and then there's haptic feedback, and the phone goes, blah, and that little thing right there, believe it or not, here is the truth, releases dopamine in your brain. Just, you want to know how I know this is true? Because you will write something on your to-do list. You've already accomplished it just to mark it off. That's how I know it's true. And God has built us to desire that. He's built our mind so that when something, something is accomplished, we get this sort of flood of a good feeling. So, ladies, when you look at that, you may be like, oh, maybe I'm not, but you want to click that to-do list, all right? Guys, y'all look at Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26. Now, the same thing is true, okay? Now, we're going to look at Moses. This is who we've been following as we work through the book of Exodus. Moses has come down the mountain from Sinai, and he's delivering the law and God's word to his people. He's beginning the ministry. Here's what we see in Hebrews eleven twenty four. Men, I want you to consider this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is saying Moses gave up the opportunity to have all of the name recognition, all of the power, all of the authority. Could have married whoever he wanted. He had a golden ticket. He had the trust fund. He had it all figured out. It was laying at his feet. And Moses pushed back from that. Why? Well, we see this in verse 25. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Why would anyone choose mistreatment over all of the things that your heart and mind could desire? The Bible tells us. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Ladies, if you're still in Proverbs 31, I want you to look at the last verse. Here's the problem. When we check off a to-do list or when you eat that perfect french fry that's warm and it's crispy or your phone bings because you've completed one of your circles, all of these little accolades, it releases dopamine in our brain and it causes us to want to do it again. Here is the problem. The problem is if our walk with Christ is this checklist of things to be done, even when we hit the button, even when we feel that good feeling, there is an issue. And the issue is this. Those things were never meant to fully, perennially, continually satisfy us. They were never intended to. And those same good feelings that we feel, which God, by the way, gave us a mind that works that way, can be taken by sin and misconstrued. It's the same reason that the desire for a hug from someone can turn into all sorts of busted sin. The, 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 the way that addiction works in our heads. Where you can scratch off a lottery ticket. You win it once and then people start getting hooked on the things. Because we were never meant to go back to that. What are we meant to go back to, ladies? I want you to look at the last verse. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman... I'm sorry, it's the next to the last verse. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. All of those things that we read about in Proverbs 31 flow out of a woman whose heart is for God, whose joy comes from being with him, not from waking up early, not from accomplishing the to-do list, not from being the perfect mom or the homeschool mom, some of which are doing that, and you never even signed up to do it. It's not about that. It's about the woman who is fearing God, who's finding all of her joy in God, and then it overflows and cascades into every other piece of her. Men, it's the exact same thing. Verse 26 of Hebrews 11. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He realized that all of the rewards that Egypt could offer would not last. Whatever he got would last for a moment, and then he would have to run after something else. But in God, in Christ, we find something that is actually fully satisfying. I want to read a quote. I'm going to pray over us, and then flip over to Exodus 35. This is Jonathan Edwards. Edwards puts it this way. The worldly imagine that there is true excellency and true happiness in those things that they are pursuing. They think that if they could but obtain them, they should be happy. And when they obtain them and cannot find happiness, they look for happiness in something else and are still upon the pursuit. That is our lives in anything that we are doing apart from Christ. But Christ Jesus has true Excellency, and so great excellency that when they come to see it, they look no further. This is the key, but the mind rests there. If you are reading Proverbs 31, ladies, and it feels impossible, this is the key of our hour, this is the key of our passage, and this is the key of following Christ. Everything that we do is based in rest. It is not to earn it. Men, When we think about Moses and all of these things being given to him and him stepping back and saying, no, because I know that those things will not fully satisfy, the only way that we can do that is if we first recognize what we have to rest in, in Christ. Pray with me. And then Exodus chapter 35. Father... I I pray that we would be a people who rest, who legitimately rest. And I'm not just talking about taking a day where we're flipping channels instead of doing something with our hands. What, What I am praying for, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet every one of us in this room and online on this, is that we would recognize that the work of Christ is so sufficient. It is so full, it is so big, that we have nothing left to prove. That we can legitimately say, God, my works are nothing, they are valued at nothing, but the work of your son is everything, and I pray that his works would be given to me through the power of the salvation of the gospel, and that we would not then move from that place and begin trying to earn, begin trying to show that we are worthy or show that we are valuable to ourselves, to our neighbors, or to the world, but that we would rest in the work of Christ. And I love, God, that this has been your plan before any human walked on the planet, and it is your plan for eternity for those of us who are trusting in you when we spend it with you through your son. I pray that we would see that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so that's our setup. Here's the goal. When you rest in Christ you will find a willing heart that actually accomplishes God's desires. Step one, spoiler alert, there's only one step, okay? Step one, does anybody want to guess what that step is? Yes. Did he say rest? Did Sawyer say? Resting in God. Sawyer, two points to the camp store. Everybody, Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel, and he said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. All right, here comes the to-do list, everybody. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath, you shall have a break, you shall have a rest, of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Who, is this a big deal to God? Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death, you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So, a couple of things that we need to note. This is our kickoff verse, and it will cascade into everything else. One, It was very important to God that his people understood rest and what he meant by rest. We're going to see that in just a second. Number two, when they rested, it did something to them and it displayed something from them. And then thirdly, what we see is that they weren't even building fires. They were having to pre-plan for rest rest. Is everybody tracking with me so far? All right, so here is how it plays out. Moses is on top of the mountain and he is speaking to God. This is him in Exodus 35 telling the people what God said to him. But I want you to see the exact words that God spoke to Moses. We skipped over this a number of weeks ago knowing that we would come back to it. God is going to give Moses the last words on the mountain. What are the last words that Jesus gave to us? Does anybody remember? Last words, and then he goes. He tells the disciples, go. Now, why do we remember that? We remember that God said, go and make disciples of all nations because it's the last thing that he said, and it pushed his people into ministry. The same thing happens with Moses in the book of Exodus. God gives him his final words, and it pushes him into ministry. Check this out. It's Exodus 31, verse 12. These are God's last words before Moses walks down the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, God has given them so many commands, chapters and chapters of commands. And he ends it by saying this, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations so that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Moses, last thing that I'm going to say. You can't miss this. In fact, I'm going to tell you it's the most important thing above all. We've talked about priests and garments and tabernacles and all of these things and laws. The most important thing, Moses, don't miss this. Your people have to Sabbath. They have to rest And this rest is grounded not in the people and not in Moses. It's grounded in God's desire for you as a human since humans were created and before. This is what we read in Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's the first time anything is referred to as holy in the entire Bible. He makes this day holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done. So step one, rest in God. There are no other steps. Spoiler alert, this is it. Step one, rest in God. Our rest in God is grounded in creation. Do you know what that means? It has nothing to do with your circumstance. It doesn't have anything to do with your culture. It doesn't have anything to do with the season that you are in. God knows that we have busy seasons, and he knows that we have not-so-busy seasons. He knows that there are seasons when you have kids all over you, and they just won't leave you alone. But we love you, and y'all are doing such a good job back there. I'm so proud of you. We got a line of boys, and they're like attentively listening. I have not see a Bible open. But sometimes it's just, ugh. And God says, I want you to Sabbath. When when we're retired, God's saying, I want you to Sabbath. This is not a timeline type of a thing. God's command desire is for you to Sabbath. And, And that's why God, I think, did this in Genesis 2. He's saying, I want you to find joy in rest, so let me show you. And God Sabbaths. Secondly, rest was their identification. Rest was not just grounded in creation. It doesn't just supersede us. Rest is our identification. It it, it said, this is a sign between me and you. This is how people are going to know that you're my people. See, we put stuff on the back of our cars. Do you want to know what would let people know that you really love and serve the Lord? Actually rest in biblical rest. Most of you still think I'm talking about a day of the week. What I'm talking about, yes, I agree with that. But Sabbath expands when Christ comes. So let me go ahead and give you the tidbit so that you can begin seeing this. The way that you rest when life is hard. The way that you trust in God when things are broken. The way that when it doesn't make any sense, you maintain faith and peace in God. That is so much better than anything that you can put on the back of your car or anything that you can post on Facebook. It is who you are. And this is who God wants his people to be. Thirdly, rest is of greatest importance. God said, above all. Consider that, above all. He's gone through all of these laws, all of these expectations, seven chapters of giving them. So much to do, it's going to take them years. And he says, more than all of that, rest. You want to understand work? You've got to understand Rest. Now, this is my favorite part of the sermon, so you can tune out after this if you want to. Please don't. It's good. Hold thing. This is, this sermon, I think, is completely for me, and y'all can just enjoy watching me enjoy this sermon because the Holy Spirit's just been like, well, you're, this is all you, okay? I, I want to show you something amazing. Uh, would you put up the sort of the little graphic, the circles and, and the triangle? Okay. So anybody want to guess what this represents, our critical thinking people? It is not a triangle-headed caterpillar. What is it? Sabbath, yes, points. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six days of work, and then Sabbath. Okay, this is what Sabbath was. This is how the days of the week worked for them. But if you paid attention, God said, I want you to honor my Sabbaths, it was a plural. You see, Sabbath was something that affected the way that his people, that we should work day in and day out. But if you look in Leviticus 25, I'm not going to turn there, jot it down in your notes, make it your quiet time or something tonight. In Leviticus 25, God says, I want the land that I am promising you to Sabbath. And so what would happen is for six years, they would work, they would plant, they would harvest. They would reap. They would do all of these things. They would eat. But after six years, they would have a year where they didn't sow, they didn't reap, and they didn't gather. Now, most of you are probably asking yourselves one of two questions. Question number one is, why aren't we doing that right now? Man, that sounds super awesome. Can we have a year off? I can't facilitate that. That This was a theocracy. We live in a democracy. Maybe you can make it work out. But don't call the church for benevolence if you shoot for it, okay? All right, so that might be one question you're having. The other question that you may be having is this. How did they eat? That would be my question. If you're working for six years, then you take a whole year off and you're just like with the family and with the kids and having community. I I think we may be having a little bit of a forced, some of us, a little bit of a forced Sabbath season right now. What am I supposed to do? How are we going to provide? And God provided for them miraculously. Here's what we read in verse 20. This is Leviticus 25, by the way. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop, will that, uh, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old crop until the ninth year when its crop arrives. God did a miracle to put on display how much he wanted his people to rest. He wanted his people to rest so much that they worked for six years, and then, I don't know if it was with hesitancy or with great joy, probably the first year it was sort of hesitant, they're like, okay, nobody worked. Let's just see how this plays out. But they would have already seen from the year before that every time on that sixth year, three years of abundance appeared. And then God did something bigger. He said, after you have had six years of work and a day of rest, that seventh, I want you to have a Sabbath of Sabbaths. This is what Leviticus 25 is. It looked more like this. And going into, there we go. So we have seven years of Sabbathing. And then this star, something amazing happens. They work six years, and they take a break off, and they do that for seven runs. How many years would that be, math majors? 49. And at the end of the 49th year, there was this thing called the Day of Atonement, the Day of Payment. Here's what it says in Leviticus 25, 9. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the 7th month on the Day of Atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. After that, on the 50th year, everybody, all their debts were expunged, all their, well, I say all their difficulties, all of the things, all of the things that they owed were wiped away. Now, you may be saying, That's really cool, Will. What does that have to do with me? Everything. Let me show you how it has everything to do with you. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes on a Sabbath day into the temple. And a scroll is handed to him. This is Luke 4, 16. And Jesus says this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, after all of these years, steps into the middle and he says, You remember that 50th year where all of the debts were paid? I'm telling you, it is here and it has come. And it hasn't come in one way, and then you have to wait again. I am here to set you free. Blind, I can fix it. Sick, I can fix it. In debt to your sins, that is exactly why I am here. And he proclaims, he is here to set the captive free. This is what the gospel is based out of. And it's why in Luke 6, Jesus says, uh, the son of man, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? I am the Lord of rest. That's why Jesus comes. Jesus comes because every one of us would work our fingers to the bone and have nothing to show for it eternally. Jesus comes because all of our best efforts, all of our to-do lists are valueless. But there are two wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness. We just sang it my value fixed, my ransom paid. Jesus steps in, he dies on the cross. The sins of any who trust in him are placed on him and he looks to us from the cross and he says, I have earned your rest. Stop working, stop earning. It has been given. You wanna know how to serve the Lord with your life? You wanna know how to minister? You can't skip this step. You can't, there is no way to skip this. These people lived in so much of abundance and joy because rest had been given. You see, they knew what real slavery was. They'd been in slavery for year after year after year. And then God steps in in Exodus, and he sets them absolutely free. And you know what their hearts do? They're so full of abundance that they can't help but give to God everything. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So will am I resting or am I working? Well, what is Paul saying? He's saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I did not earn my right standing with God. It was by his grace, which I now rest in. And from that rest, it produces good works. Such good works that they aren't even mine. They are the works that God has done. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the Lord of it. I have come for it so that you may have it. So what do we do with this rest? I have two application points that I want you to take home from this. When you rest in Christ, you will find a willing heart that actually accomplishes God's desires. What flows from a heart that rests in Christ? Will, are you saying I should rest on Sunday? Yes, but that's the tidbit. The big piece is if Christ has forgiven you of your sins, if you are standing in grace, you can rest in everything. Doesn't just have to be Sunday. You can rest when everything's falling apart as well as when things are held together. What flows out of rest? A generous heart. Exodus 35, everybody, if you can, look in Exodus chapter 35. God tells his people to rest, and this is what comes out. In verse 5, we see this. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Verse 21, chapter 35, verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought all of these things. Exodus 35, 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Are you seeing the pattern here? Verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them used their skill. And they spun goat hair. Which, hey, I don't know how much skill that takes, but hallelujah. In verse 29. All the men and the women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them. Chapter 36, verse 2. And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him. And finally, we get to chapter 36. And all of the workers whose hearts have stirred them are looking to Moses and they're saying, tell people to stop bringing stuff. Their hearts were so generous, they had been given so much that they just kept bringing stuff for the temple, for the tabernacle. And finally, the workers over here are like, we can't handle any more wood. And the folks over here are like, please no more gold. And the folks over here are like, no more precious stones, no more silver, no more furs. We are overflowing with abundance, and that is the point. This is not prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel tells us, and we can, we can see this all over the place, that if you give to God, then you're going to receive. Do You see how opposite this is? These people were giving to God because they'd already received. They'd already received freedom from Egypt and an abundance of good things. Christian, if you have received the grace of Christ, what do you have to hold back from God? I'm not about to pass a plate, by the way. Seriously, in your time, In your finances, according to the gospel, your value has nothing to do with a bank account. Your value has nothing to do with whether or not you have some level of skill or not. Your value is fixed because Christ valued you enough. That should set us free. That should cause us to be people who hold on to this world with very loose hands. Makes us people who serve. Makes us people who love. It makes us people who give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It's called the cheerful giver, this little section. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Will, you just told me you weren't preaching the prosperity gospel. I'm not. This is a Bible verse. What is God saying? He's saying this, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Don't give to God reluctantly. Don't give your money to him reluctantly. It's not doing what he's desiring, and it's certainly not doing what you're thinking it's doing. Don't give him your ability reluctantly. Don't give him your time reluctantly. No. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But watch how the economy of God's grace works. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. All of the abundance comes from God, and it's based out of his grace. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you realize how crazy that Bible verse is? What is God saying? He's saying at all times, in all places, in all works, you are sufficient. No, I'm not God. And he's saying, yeah, it's based in my grace. But God, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not smart enough for this. I'm not able enough for this. I can't do this. I can't stretch myself this way. And God's saying, I know, but my grace can. Are you resting in my grace? Because if you are, you will have a heart that overflows, that is willing. And what does that willing heart want? Application number two. When you rest in Christ, you will find a willing heart. I don't know how to apply that. For some of you, it may be financial, for some of you, it may be time. For some of you, it may be energy. At some point, we're going to have a capital campaign, and I'm just going to be saying, isn't God good that he's going to give us everything that we need, and we can have cheerful hearts as he builds what he wants to build? I can do that. I'm excited about doing that. But in this moment, what are you holding on to so tightly? What are you not resting in God's goodness and provision in? You feel like you have to hold it, because you don't trust him if you were to let it go. When you rest in Christ, you will find a willing heart. And... It actually accomplishes God's desires. Verse 11 of that same chapter says this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So what does that look like? Exodus 35. This will be our closing passage. Exodus 35 verse 30. So all these people come, and they've been taught to rest, and they rest in the goodness of God. And out of resting in the goodness of God, they see that their hands have been so full that they can joyfully, cheerfully, with a willing heart, give anything that God desires, whether it be resources or work. They will gladly do it. And what flows from that? Exodus 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name. God will call you to what he will equip you to what he calls you for. He has called you by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. First time we see this. With skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Why? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting. Hey, ladies, you like being artistic and creative? Here it is. Guys, you like working with what you like doing? Yes, do all of these things for the glory of God. Verse 34. And he's inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahasemach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work. What happens when we rest in God? We have a generous heart. What happens when we have a generous, willing heart? We're not holding on to the things of this world. We can actually do gospel work. Don't start with that. Don't start by saying, hey, man, I'm going to get on the mission field. Hey, man, I'm going to change my neighborhood. Hey, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to plant a church. We're going to do this. We're going to do all of these things. Don't start there. You better start by saying, God, I'm resting in you. What do you want? What is the abundance of your grace going to produce in me so that with a willing heart I can give you all of myself and whatever gifts or calling you have placed on me, we can execute for your glory that people would hear the gospel. God says, I want you to find joy in work. Let me show you how through service. Whatever your gifts, skills, and abilities are, they're not for you. They weren't meant to build you or to build your kingdom. Not if you're a Christian. You see, we can rest in our working. Two things. We can rest in our working because we're not earning value. There is nothing that you can do in this world to make you more or less valuable to God. This is something we should be telling our children, parents. There is nothing that you can do that is going to make me love you any more or any less. I love you to the fullest extent that my love is capable to do. And God speaks to his people and he says you can rest in your working because you're not earning value. It's already been paid for at the cross. Secondly, we can rest in the opportunities that God brings. And let me tell you what I mean by this. Some opportunities that God brings create anxiety. I talked to people. we love having different people. Lacey, I love that you were doing the prayer. Josh, I love that you were doing the call to worship. We try to spread that out in our church. We try to ask people, oh, hey, Chris, if you're there, does anybody remember the time Chris Edwards did announcements? That was a hot mess. But it was one of the most, I don't remember a single announcement, but do you know what our church remembered? Here was a guy who was willing to serve the Lord in a way that wasn't necessarily comfortable for him. Why can we rest in the opportunities that God brings? Because we're not proving anything. Instead of our anxiety of, am I good enough? We recognize that God gives the ability and he accomplishes his purposes. Some of us can be angry at the opportunities that God has brought. Men, you may hate your job. Ladies, there may be moments where if you're honest with your self, you hate the season of life that you're in. But what we find is that the, it's not a question of, is the opportunity good enough? It's, God has made me capable for this opportunity. Do I trust God in what he has brought? And so guys, when I, when I look at our church, I'm thinking about the members meeting that we're going to have tonight. And, uh, I, I'm thinking about... Uh, New members coming in, which is wonderful, and elders hopefully being affirmed. We'll see how that whole thing shakes out. And then explaining to you guys, what does it look like this fall when it comes to children's ministry and youth ministry? What does it look like this fall when it comes to MCG? What does it look like this fall when we talk about the building campaign and and our finances and things like that? And I have to preach this to myself and say, we'll rest in God. We don't get to know what the future has, but I know this, that I may not be able to take off all of my goals for this year. We as a church may not be able to do all of the things that we want, but I know that every one of us can take a step back and we can rest and we can say, God, you're sufficient. God, you're good enough. The opportunities that you have brought are correct. The ability that you have called us to use is adequate. And this is what God's people saw in the book of Exodus. This is the heart of it. Stokes, you can come on up. God's people had been absolutely empty-handed, slaves in Egypt. They had nothing. They didn't even have time or money or resources, and God steps in and he sets them free. He overflows them with abundance. He gives them his presence and his promise of the future, and when they fail, he never walks away. And that creates a culture where they constantly go to and rest in God. I don't need the ding of a to-do list, and neither do you. What we need is the rest in God that has been accomplished for us at at the cross through Christ if we are trusting in him. And that kind of a freedom produces worship. It allows us to say that God, in my moment, right now, in my world, in my difficulty, I can worship because I'm resting in you. I don't have to accomplish this. I don't have to do this. I'm not even getting value from this. I can stand and sing at the top of my lungs, regardless of my circumstances, if I have trusted in Christ because he is enough. Let's be people who worship that way. And let's be people that live that way. And Father, that is my prayer. As we lift up our voices now, as we pray to you, make us people who understand your rest in Christ. And may that produce generous hearts. That overflow with works that change the world and souls and eternity for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.